It's the New Age Boxing Podcast with Andy White. That's me, a motherfucking P-O-D-C-A-S-T. With me today, the ever-present Theobald. Together, we're going to knock you out cold. <laughs> Is that a better opening than last week? <laughs> Am I meant to respond to that? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> So welcome on the 31st of January I'm, I'm still getting over. <laughs> I just want to make people aware of which podcast they're listening to, you know. This is the last time you said that people not, might not be aware. And... No, they'll be aware now. They'll be aware. <laughs> wow. He'll go down as that black day in history. <laughs> when, uh, when Andy decided to rap. Okay, I have no more crapping or rapping. No, I, how many years have I known you? 20 plus? Yeah, 20 plus. It's the first time I've heard you rap. Mm. And last. <laughs> is that a hope? <laughs> a hope, a threat. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. We don't have. Well, I, don't, I don't know. You said we don't have a massive amount to go through today, but I think we do. I think we can drag it out. We're good at that. Let's give it a go. We uh, put on your feature as well. We have indeed. We've got. Um, don't a, ruin it. And don't a couple of audio it. tracks to throw in, giving you some of Saturday night's microphone action. I don't know. Yeah, publicity, post-fight. Yeah, something to forward to some some funny stuff we can talk through. But I suppose the best place to start is the Copper Box Arena. Um, we've uh, let's start with Chris Agadou versus Ben Hall. Okay, is it Agadou? Agadou. Yeah. <laughs> the crowd sing so, uh, No, there was an interview that he did beforehand where he was asked about if he was going to have that as his entrance music. <laughs> He kindly refrained. <laughs> yeah, so Ben Hall against Chris Agudua for the Southern Area light well, uh, sorry, light middleweight, uh, super welterweight title. Yeah, it saw Ben Hall stop Agudu, um in the sixth round. Ben Hall had kind of gone into the fight talking about he was uh, better than anyone that Agudu had ever faced. He's unbeaten. He's got one draw on his record, uh, but was talking about how the power was going to get to Agudu. And it did, I think, is probably the uh, the fairest way to describe it. It was uh, fairly on, I think, the second fight. You could see there were a couple of shots that really put Agudua, um onto the back foot a bit. Um, you could see that he was hurt and stunned. And uh, by the end, maybe the referee jumped in a little bit quick to end the fight, you could argue. Uh, but ultimately, I think the result was going to go the same way, regardless of whether he stopped it there or whether he allowed Aguidua to take on a couple more rounds of, uh, of punishment. So, yeah, on, I think it was... Uh, on that, um, when you say about the ref stepping in, I realise it's a slight tangent, but um, what I've sort of come to appreciate is that it really is a tightrope for, for refs, isn't it? Because you can sometimes... Um, Going back to other fights, uh, like larger sort of uh, spectre fights, with things like um, the George Groves Carl Foch fight, where he where he was apparently stepping in too early. But I've also seen other clips of fights where, and I'm sure we've watched them, where 
the referee steps in far too late and the bloke's taking an absolute pasting. and you think this guy can't even hold his gloves up and he's still getting hammered. Yeah. <clears throat> There's one of the rare moments of, um, of where they actually spoke some sense in the commentary last night because there wasn't an awful lot of it. And uh, I can't remember if it was Jim Watt or Nick Halling that said about the referee's job is to stop the fighters from getting hurt, not stop them after they've got hurt. Um, yeah. So you accept his boxing, you're going to get hurt, but don't take unneeded, um, sustained punishment. So as soon as it becomes quite evident and quite clear that you know they're not in a position where they're going to come back and win it, and they're taking, you know, there must have been ten, eleven shots unanswered from Ben Hall onto uh, Ankidia. Now, yes, he was covered up, and uh, you know, not every one of them got through the guard, but. There was enough there to suggest the referee, you know, he he wasn't out of place stopping that fight. Can, can you stop a fight on, um, if you defend yourself, like not throwing anything back, can a referee stop the fight? Yeah, then? yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, depending on the length of how long it's going on for. So if it's 20 shots and you're not throwing anything back, then yeah. Uh, that's mm. a ref's, you know, it's prerogative to get in there and, and stop it from happening. Okay, I just, I just, it just interested me because it's one of those, like I said, I feel like it's one of those tightropes in boxing that they tend to walk. I mean, you've, I've even seen doctors, and we, I, I'm sure we talked about one recently about sort of going up and just saying to the bloke, "Yeah, you'll be fine." Yeah, it was a Tony Dodson fight yeah, on like... the uh, Hay Undercard, looking at his eye, but uh, yeah, and you're never going to please everybody. So there are those who want their pound of flesh out of every fighter that want to see them laid out on the floor before yeah. anything gets stopped, yeah. and there are those that want to err uh, slightly more on the cautious side. And I think you know that's where it comes down to say the guidance from the British Boxing Board have to you know tell people where the line is, and then it's down to the referees to interpret that. How, how closely do they have to adhere to actual legislation, British Boxing Board of Control? Mm-hmm. Reason I say that is because. It just seems to me that you should call the police. Two men having a punch up. <laughs> Not having this. Well, you got you got two blokes who could seri- they could seriously get hurt. So you okay? I realise that they're both agreeing to do it, but what what essentially is the difference between that and bare knuckle boxing between two consenting blokes in a car park? Bar the fact that people pay to go and see this, and it's all I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, now, I don't how know. many legislative hoops have they jumped through to make sure like? We've got to check this off. We've got to tick this yeah, off. Yeah, but I mean, you drag that down to like the you know white collar boxing events. It's two people in a leisure centre or a nightclub <laughs> or whatever going in and having yeah. a punch up. Like if you had a punch up in a nightclub normally, you're going to get kicked out by some bouncer. Yeah. But white you collar or- boxing event, mate. It doesn't look you like organise it. it and sell tickets, and it's apparently fine. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, it's just—it's a real. It just feels like a massive grey area, really. Yeah. And so that's it. A little word of advice: next time you're in a punch up in a nightclub, sell tickets. You'll uh, <laughs> you'll be allowed to stay in. Um, do you have anything more to say on the uh, Aggie do? No, or, no, or? not really. Okay, so let's move on to the um, John Ryder Sergey Kamitsky fight. <laughs> Kamitsky, we discussed it last week. Has been over here before. He's fought the likes of Buglioni, who he beat, Adam Etches that he beat, Nick Blackwell that he drew with. Um, John Ryder, it was, it was boring. I'm going to be honest. I didn't really enjoy it. Um, Ross Kamitsky looked knackered after about four or five rounds. He's a 41 year old man. I was saying last week about time may have caught up with him. I think you can probably say it has, but the fact is Ryder didn't look levels above a 41 year old, not shot, but like worn out man. Um, and by the end, I mean, the sky commentary was fucking dreadful. Like, (laughs) The, on par then from what you would normally yeah, yeah but I mean <laughs> there's a brilliant I can't remember which round it is but 
Kaminsky's there landing maybe three or four like decent shots of his own. And like over the top of that action, you've got Jim Watt talking about how John Ryder's dominating this round. <laughs> Nothing's really happening from Kaminsky. I don't know what they're getting paid for, but whatever. Like that's a side note. So John Ryder, um, yes, he goes away with the win in a middleweight division that's got a fair bit of talent knocking about. I don't personally see that he's got any great claim to be near the top of it. You know, you got the likes of Billy Joe Saunders holding the world title. Nick Blackwell with the British title, Chris Eubank moving up, Tommy Langford coming through. I don't personally feel like John Ryder adds a great deal to that um, that setting, that you know group of middleweight fighters. He didn't show anything last night to me that made me think he was anything special. Um, what was special is that they threw in one of their two-minute rounds halfway through the fight. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> They've done it before on uh, one of the Leeds fights, uh, one of the Leeds cards. They had a two-minute round when a beach ball came flying in as well. So I was just—it was like the apocalypse. There's <laughs> <laughs> a two-minute round. There must be a beach ball to follow. Um, no idea what on earth a timekeeper is doing. That after two minutes you just ring the bell, stop the round. That's it odd, mental. That must um, like affect like betting and stuff like that. That must. That... I don't know. It's a fair <laughs> point. I've no idea. Um, you know, if you bet on that round for a knockout, you're going to be pretty pissed off you've just lost the third. <laughs> it only bit. lasts 13 seconds or whatever. <laughs> bing, bing. Bing, bing. Oh, sorry. You lost out there, mate. Yeah. So, I don't know. But I don't know. I, I tweeted in the 12th round that I'd be quite appreciative if they uh, put another two-minute round on because I was getting bored <laughs> by that point. Um, um, yeah, it wasn't a fight for me, really. It was... Okay, so that sounds like that's had far too much airtime in that in that respect. I mean, I didn't I didn't see uh, any boxing this weekend, so unfortunately, we have um, just or maybe fortunately, we just have your opinion to look for tonight. Um, Poor people. John Wayne Hibbert versus Tony Martin. Tommy Martin. Yeah, it was um, it was a really good fight. Actually, I really enjoyed it. So you got the thirty-one-year-old Hibbert, uh, Commonwealth champion, who's had a, a handful of defeats on his record. Um, then you got Tommy Martin, who's 21 years old, so 10 years the younger. And, uh, yeah, he was <clears throat> far and away is his biggest challenge out of his uh, his career to date. And uh, it was a really, really enjoyable fight. Like, Tommy Martin... Uh, <laughs> I don't know, the, the best way I could describe how he fought, it was quite um, reckless at times wasting energy all over the place. Um, he actually reminded me a little bit of Chris Eubank Jr., kind of um, in the first half of the Billy Joe Saunders fight, that he was throwing these wild shots from angles. Um, but what he did, he kept up the the energy all the way through the fight. And so like John Wayne Hibbert, he started to tire a little bit towards the kind of middle, maybe towards the two-thirds of the way through the fight. He was lagging a little bit, and Tommy Martin was really stepping it up at that point. And he just had a really um, fluid style about him. I think in maybe like two, three years' time, he's going he's gonna to be a really good um, addition to the kind of light welterweight scene. I think um, looking at him, he was quite heavily outweighed, I would suspect, when it came to fight night. So perhaps there's, uh, perhaps there's movement for him to go down a weight division. But uh, it was a really, really good fight, really enjoyable. And uh, Hibbert actually stopped it in the 12th round, by which point Martin was just exhausted. Um, it kind of, the, the commentators indicated that he'd miscounted the count to get back up. He'd been knocked down. But uh, I think in reality, like he probably just didn't want 
any more to do with it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, <coughs> it was uh, an enjoyable one. I think Tommy Martin will come again. He's got a good future in front of him. George Groves versus De La Riza. So that was pretty much a steamroller of a match. It was a horrible match, to be fair. <laughs> uh, I didn't enjoy watching it at all. And actually, I, I sat and did some typing towards the second half because it was such a foregone conclusion. At least with David Hay, like he came back in a mismatch and he annihilated the bloke early doors and that was it. Um, the guy that Groves was fighting, this De Luisa, I didn't know an awful lot about him before and there's a reason he'd never reached any, you know, kind of decent top, top levels within the super middleweight division. His footwork was the most atrocious thing I've seen in the boxing ring for a long, long time. And so, like, he was constantly... And it was, I think, um, accentuated by the fact that you watch George Groves and you probably, like, when you think of how he stands in a boxing position, he has a very wide base on his feet and crouches down quite yeah, a lot. I do um, that, yeah. Which accentuates them when you've got a fighter whose feet are almost crossing at times as he's walking, like, in and out of range. And so um, he doesn't move his front foot before he moves his back foot. He's happily moving. So he looks off balance before he's even into range and taken a <laughs> shot. It just looked awkward throughout. And like George Groves showed he has one of the best jabs in a British boxing ring. Um, but the guy had like no head movement whatsoever. Just he was there as a target throughout. And like it was quite clear by the second or third round what was going to happen. It's that George Groves was just going to keep beating this poor bloke up. Um, and he did until it got stopped. Um, and yeah, it just wasn't much of a matchup. Remind me who George Groves... Um, other losses to outside of Frog Badu Jack, and what was that fight like? It was good. He got knocked down in the first round. It was for the uh, WBC title. Got knocked down in the first round, so he was already down on the scorecards by that point, and came back and did a very good job. Uh, I think he lost it on a split decision in the end, if I remember rightly, which shows you it was very tight, given yeah. the fact that he was two points down off the first round. Um. So he he did very very well, you know. If they had a rematch, you wouldn't count Groves out of it particularly. So I think there's still enough there. He showed enough last night. I say the very rapid jab that comes is very well hidden. Like people can't read mm. it. That bloke couldn't read it. But to be honest, <laughs> can you read? Yeah, it, it wasn't a huge shock uh, given every other skill it, that he, he it just because I remember when you're saying about his jab, I remember that being quite effective against Frotch as well. Um, and he he won a few rounds against Frotch, and I think his his only I th- I didn't think he was ever going to beat Frotch simply because you can't. Well, all right, he could have boxed him out, but Frotch has these explosions doesn't he and he's able to knock people out and he's able to and he just you can punch him in the face all day and he's never going to go down yeah. so i think like if if you just sort of discount the two frotch fights to some extent um if he's unlucky to lose to Bo jack maybe i mean you kind of alluded to the fact anyway that he's got a bright future ahead of him and he could still be um you know a decent boxer and win titles or whatever but it it makes logical sense as well given what he's got in his armory yeah i mean there's talk of um martin murray was there last night so former middleweight four-time world title holder oh, sorry holder challenger he never held a world title mm. um you know george groves had three shots here martin murray's had four neither of them have ever been successful murray's moved up from middleweight now it would be quite a natural fight to make, I think, for the two of them. In that, uh, almost like, <laughs> not that you'd want to say it, but almost like one of you retire if you lose or whatever. Because uh, 
one of them can move on and probably go back to that world level the other one there's not an awful lot to kind of hang around for so hopefully they can make that um martin murray is promoted by eddie hearn george groves is promoted by the samuelin brothers they do quite a lot of business together so uh, hopefully you'll be able to see those two you know later on this year perhaps but i mean it was such a soft landing back into uh, super middleweight for, for george groves last night that um, not that he's been that long out, you know, he hasn't had like years out, he hasn't even had a year out, he was just out for six months after his uh, world title shot. So. Okay, so let's move on to, um, Leon McKenzie had a fight um, against Kelvin Young. Yeah, How Leon McKenzie. Alright, so uh, we've spoken about Leon before, I think um, you'd asked me about who was probably the highest profile fighter within the, the Goodwin promotion stable, I think I've highlighted Leon as being that person um perhaps like just for uh who he is so he's an ex-footballer scored a hundred or over a hundred goals in the premier league in a career with norwich and various other teams um and yeah 37 now he's an undefeated super middleweight and he beat kelvin young last night uh in i think it was 43 seconds of the first round um <laughs> Yeah, like McKenzie's quite an awkward southpaw to. What I mean, uh, it, I've seen McKenzie a couple of times now. The forty-three second knockout was like massively impressive, but it wasn't like his cleanest performance for when he beat uh, John McCallum back in October of last year. Um, that was a more disciplined. Like he worked off his jab that night. As I say, as a southpaw, he's working on face stiff right hand jab. Um. He didn't need that last night because he jumped on uh, Young. As soon as he made a, a mistake, um, uh, McKenzie jumped him. Big left hand to the chin and uh, Young. Again, this was one of those ones where they, they said that Young kind of mistimed the count to get back up. Um, the point being that you don't need to wait until the 8th or ninth for the referee to allow or for you to get back up. Yeah. You can get up on like the 3rd and the ref will see it through to the end of the, the 10 count for you. Um, and that wasn't something that Kelvin Young did last night. He kind of tried to sit on his knee until about eight or nine and then get up, but by which point the ref wasn't convinced that he was ready to carry on. Which is fair enough. I mean, if you're going to take... It's, it seems pretty straightforward that if you're going to take those full ten seconds or a majority of them, then you're playing with fire. I agree. <laughs> if you get up on three, you've given yourself a period... Like, I'm not saying you get up on three, maybe five you give yourself a period of time to convince the ref that you're still all right to yeah. carry on. If you get up on nine, the ref needs to make a very split decision as to whether you're okay to carry on or yeah. not. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, we've spoken about it now for longer than the fight actually lasted, all 43 <laughs> seconds of it. <laughs> um, so that was an English mid um, super middleweight title eliminator. The interesting thing is Callum Smith holds the uh, the British super middleweight title. Callum Smith is going to be in a world title eliminator in his next fight later on this year. So I don't think he's going to be defending that title anytime soon. He'll probably end up vacating it. So what's interesting about the super middleweight division is that you've got Callum Smith, um, who's the British title holder. Now his next fight is going to be a world title eliminator uh, coming up later this year, going down the WBC route, which will be against Badu Jack, the guy we just mentioned who uh, beat George Groves. So the chances are he's not going to be defending that British title anytime soon. And so he may well end up just vacating it and letting others fight for it. Now there's, at the top end of the super middleweight division, <clears throat> you have the likes of George Groves, Martin Murray, Callum Smith now. 
along with James DeGale, who's got uh, who's got a world title himself. So it leaves a vacuum almost underneath that top level, whereby somebody like Leon McKenzie, who when he beat John McCallum back in uh, say October of last year, that was a British title eliminator as well. So he's now won a British and an English title eliminator. My guess would be they're probably looking at uh, who's you know if Callum Smith is going to defend that title or not and then maybe you know take a, a judgment as to whether or not they go down the English or the British title routes I mean it's worth remembering this is a guy that didn't take up boxing until you know into his 30s he was a professional footballer for many years he's a crossover um, sportsman so uh, it was very very impressive that I say he's he's carried on that undefeated record that he's got and uh, he's moving on now what are his long-term prospects Long term, I mean, um, you know, at times I've spoken with Leon, he admits time isn't on his side. Like I say, he's 37 years old now. So he, I don't, I don't I'm not going to speak on Leon's behalf because uh, he'll beat me up. But um, <laughs> long term, he's probably not talking about world titles. You know, he's never spoken to me about world titles before and done pieces together. He wants to get a British title. Like, He's already in his, you know, he's achieved probably more than anybody would ever have said that he could have achieved in the sport. You know, turning over as late as he did. Um, yeah, he hasn't got that background, that amateur schooling in the sport. So he's he's achieved more than people would ever assume that somebody could achieve in those circumstances. If he could pick up an English or British title, then I'm sure, you know, that would be a huge result for him. Um, I'm sure he would retire happily from a boxing ring on that. You know, if he got that uh, that achievement, what mate? What is the biggest difference um, between someone like Liam McKenzie and someone like, say, Klitschko? And the reason I ask is the age thing is what I mean. Klitschko's boxing well into his forties. Why couldn't that be said for someone like Liam? Is it because of the schooling behind it and the technique that he has, or the way that he boxes, or what would be? It's mainly to do. I mean, you don't okay break it down to say fly weights. So right down the bottom end of the weight scale. They're very explosive, very quick. Um, they take a bit of punishment. They move around the ring a lot. Their very, ex- I say, explosiveness in their body doesn't lend itself to having a prolonged twenty odd year career. Right, Watch the way Klitschko fights. He's got that ramrod jab. You know, he's very robotic in how he fights. It doesn't sustain a lot of punishment in what he does. You know, that technique that he's had kind of for you know 20 years ago, he probably doesn't fight any different to how he does now. He's not had to adapt it over time because in a 40-year-old body, he's able to do what he was doing when he was 20 because mm, it's not... Successful. Yeah, it's not that... Um, it doesn't have that much wear and tear about yeah, it, his style yeah, of fighting. Thing. Okay, well, it, was, it just struck me because I, I see what you mean. Uh, you can't run around like a lunatic forever. Exactly, yeah. As promised then, we'll play the one of the clips now and... Uh, um, and then we'll talk about it. This is uh, Sergei Kovalev talking after beating Jean Pascal. By the way, before the fight to punish him during the fight for some of the things he said. You would have him cornered, and then you would let him out of the corner to extend the fight. Is that in fact what you were doing? Were you punishing him intentionally and extending the fight? Yes, I would. I would uh, fight more rounds and uh, uh, make him more pain. <laughs> make him more pain. <laughs> it sounds like a Bond bad guy. Yeah. Right? Uh... It sounds like quintessential like Soviet Union bud. Yeah. <laughs> make him more pain. He's a bad, <laughs> bad motherfucker, man. He's, uh... 
Um, yeah, so that's Sergei Kovalev. You spoke uh, about him before and said how he had uh, he'd killed someone. In the ring. He's killed a man in the ring. Like a lot of people, when they kill somebody or seriously damage somebody in the ring, they tend to show a mental fragility about themselves. <laughs> you know, whereby they no boxer wants to go in there necessarily to hurt the person because they notice. You know, they acknowledge they have a family at home. They want to make sure everybody goes home safely. I think Sergei Kovalev missed that class. <laughs> I think saying care. no boxer might be a bit generous <laughs> when you've got psychos like him. He doesn't care. Um, so we discussed it last week about um, Jean Pascal not having a bet about whether he'd win the fight or not, but could he get past X number of rounds in the fight? Um, and no, he couldn't. Um so yeah, it was uh, it was a demolition job. There was no need for that fight last night because uh, Kovalev has beaten Pascal before. Um, you did say the other day that um, you, you find it odd that Pascal wants to get in the ring because he got beaten. He got time. beaten last time. He got <laughs> beaten this time. Um, so at the end of the sixth round, Freddie Roach, who was uh, Pascal's trainer, was saying to him, "Look, we're stopping the fight. Like this is over." And fair play to Pascal because he was like he begged his corner not to stop the fight there and then, and like so Freddie Roach let him go back out for one more round and then threw the towel in like partway through it because uh, there was you know it was again one of these scenarios where the bloke wasn't going to win the fight, the referee wasn't stopping it. As per that sound clip, <laughs> Kovalev was quite happy to string it out just to punish him a little bit. <laughs> Um, I love it. I love it. He was <laughs> like he was getting him, him, getting him in. Yeah, exactly that. So you imagine like a cat gets a mouse, and yeah. like he doesn't want to kill it. He wants it to keep moving around a little bit so that he can keep pouring it for his own enjoyment. Mm. That's exactly what Kovalev was doing. I saw a kitten playing with a praying mantis once when I was in Vietnam, <laughs> and it was just banging it, banging it, banging it. Wait until the poor thing started to move again, and it was like, yeah, it's some more. <laughs> it's like that. Um, Okay, so then after the fight, um, with a view to take on uh, Adonis Stevenson uh, next, he <laughs> he comes out with this. Interested in getting in the ring with? Uh, sure, I want to um, unify all four titles. I would like to fight Adonis Chickenson. Adonis Chickenson, who is also here ringside. Oh, yeah? Okay. That's me. This is the big, the big stuff, man. This is me. I'm the champ. I'm the real champ. Oh yeah. Oh. All right, Adonis Stevenson, the lineal champion, is in the ring, ostensibly trying to get at Sergey Kovalev, the consensus light heavyweight champion of the world. Yeah. So it's not. Adonis Stevenson, it's Adonis Chickenson. <laughs> I can't even do that noise. A Russian chicken is clearly fucking different to us. Um, what a strange, what a strange but hilarious interview. <laughs> so it all went a little bit. Um, you know, the other week we were saying about when uh, Tyson Fury got in the ring with Deontay Wilder after their fight. Oh and yeah, Fury stripping down the waistcoat. He's getting ready to go there, and then it's all a little bit like that again. So it's, yeah. it's clearly in vogue at the moment is to go in and. 
and kick off. But yeah. I love it. I just hope it continues. I want it to end up like WWE, where they just go, like you said, money in the bank last week. Yeah. <laughs> ding ding, crack just on. Get, let's crack on. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean. The, the end of that, the upshot of it all is that Stevenson um, is, they've been talking about fighting for a long time. So Stevenson holds a WBC title, Kovalev holds a WBA, WBO and the IBF. So it's a logical matchup, really. It's a logical matchup. There aren't really any other options out there, apart from Andre Ward, who stepped up into the weight division. He's got a fight lined up for later this year against Sullivan Barrera, I think it is. He's getting on though, Andre Ward, isn't he? Like 30. Mm. He's early thirties, but he's been so inactive that he could. You know, it's not like he's got miles on the clock. Oh, he's right. he should be fresh. I'm guessing Kovalev would probably rather fight immediately Stevenson um, and get his belt and unify the division and be like the man of the division, and then probably defend against Ward if he had a choice. These talks have been going on for ages. There's a woman, uh, Kathy Duva, who is uh, the manager of Kovalev, who. There's, it's all politics again this is why the two are like you know the, the same end of a magnet being pushed apart from each other it seems like they want to fight they get in the ring they talk about fighting but then when it was um i can't remember which of the governing bodies it was that uh that mandated the fight for the two to to face off uh kathy duva who is Sergei Kovalev's promoter, came out with a uh, a reasoning that look, she couldn't do it because um, they couldn't go to purse bids because essentially Kovalev is signed up to a TV network. Now, I don't really know my American TV networks, but I think it might be HBO or Showtime, something like that. And therefore, if they lost the purse bids for it, then Duva couldn't guarantee that Kovalev can take the fight because then Stevenson's side would be dictating the TV channel that is on all these things. It seems to have come out like over the last couple of days that Stevenson doesn't actually have a um, a TV network that he signed up to. So that might open the door a little bit now um, for the two of them to start talking again because it was always thought that if Stevenson's side won the purse bids and they would go with their TV network. But if they don't have a specific TV network, then it doesn't become an obstacle or a roadblock to stop the fight from happening. A story... Slash scenario that we've heard many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sad. Um, okay, so um, I guess we're uh, we're getting towards the end of our <coughs> talkable content. Uh, talkable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> After all my uh, fluid speech at the beginning of the program, I've finally run out of steam. So uh, you, we've got a new feature that you want to implement. It is a new feature, right? Which has its own jingle as well. In Right, so remind all these hardened boxing fans why they've just been listening to Sam Smith or Beast well, for four seconds. Yeah, I don't know because I hate him, so <laughs> I'm not sure why. All right, so might seem a little bit odd. I appreciate. It. Hopefully, over time we can bed it in, and it won't seem so odd. Or we'll scrap it in a couple of weeks. Because uh, all right, now this. Uh, how can I introduce this properly? So our new segment feature, whatever you want to call it, I want to create the lay-by. Lay by your side. I can just insert the jingle again. No, actually, I don't know what's no, worse. Look, you've rapped. <laughs> Fuck you, right? I'm having a little sing-song. <laughs> uh, right, so, uh, whether or not people know, I have a, um, not a fascination, but I have a real interest in uh, what are labelled as journeymen within the sport. I, I take a real um, interest in what they do. So it's people that are there to... Uh, <laughs> 
for one of a better term, they're there to lose a lot of the time. They appreciate their role in the sport. Um, they're the people that help develop the younger fighters coming through. So when you've got prospects that are like, you know, it could be their first fight, could be their second, third, fourth. There are fighters out there whose job it is, is to get in the ring with them, take them through a few rounds, teach them a few tricks. They kind of know they're never going to win the fight. Uh, it's very rare that they do. Um, and that's kind of what their role is as a journeyman. So there's one called, and this is tying it all back together now, Christian Lay. Makes sense. now now it feels like it was worth it. Yeah, no, I'll put it on loop three times. Jingle. <laughs> right, so let's uh, let's give you a bit of back the background on Christian Lay. He's a man in his thirties now. Um, his record is ten wins, two hundred and thirteen losses, seven draws. Out of two hundred and thirteen losses, he's lost five by KO. <laughs> So he's lost, on that basis, 208 fights on points. That's some pure roundage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But most of his fights will go like four rounds, some six rounds. Oh, okay. He's not going 12 in these. Right. Okay. Um, still. Still. I'm not, I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm not going, oh, fucking Chris, mate. Right, do yeah, 12 rounds, mate. He's probably done about 1,000 rounds of boxing. Well, in fact, he will have done 1,000 yeah. rounds of boxing with yeah. his wins as well. So this is a guy who, like, he doesn't spar. So he's, if you work it out as well... In total, he's had, what are we talking, 230 fights. Like, you can only do one a week. (laughs) Um, Wow. So last year, 2015, he had 22 fights. Year before that, he had 29 fights. Um, His last win came in August 2015. Now, these may all sound like I'm kind of knocking weight. It isn't a knock on what he does at all. Like, I love watching a journeyman last time i saw christian he was fighting michael pert at york hall on the goodwin show there is such an art to what chris late does he as reflected by five knockout losses in 213 losses Mm, yeah fair point his ability to get in there take fighters through the rounds he covers up he doesn't really get hurt at all um what happens with these journeymen is that they get these records where they start losing and then like the board eventually asks them to come in and like explain themselves and it's a bit of an unwritten rule really that they have to go in there and say you know yeah i'll try and get a win soon um but you know i've been fighting hard opposition which basically means look you know what my job is you know that there are very few promoters out there that are going to let me get win because what happens right these kids that they're fighting they've sold 150 200 tickets or whatever for their debut or for their second fight chris lay doesn't sell tickets for fights he goes up and down the country as the opponent and so like it's not necessarily in a promoter's interest for their young kid who's sold 150 200 tickets to a show it's not in their interest for their kid to lose the fight it is wwe it's not in chris lay's interest to win the fight necessarily because if he starts say he, as I said to you, he took twenty nine, uh, sorry, twenty two fights last year, twenty nine fights in twenty fourteen. So twenty nine is more than every other weekend, and he's getting paid say eight hundred, nine hundred quid or whatever per fight, and so like he can work Monday to Friday and then get this as like a, a supplementary income or whatever. It's not in his interest to go out and start beating these kids, because if he does, Oh, okay. Right, yeah, yeah. He's not going to get the job again because like, he's his record is why he gets hired. 
Right. The fact okay. that he doesn't win that many fights means that he's the perfect opponent for kids of naught or one or two yeah, or three good. fights. Yeah. So, it, as I say, it's kind of an unwritten rule, an unspoken rule. <laughs> it's not that I'm shedding any light on this. You know, there's books and things out there about it. There's a book called Journeyman by uh, Mark Tully, which is a really interesting read, and actually Chris lays in there. Um, so, going back to why we're talking about this, <laughs> yeah, yeah. as a new feature, I wanted to just every week have a little nod to... Uh, say what Chris Lay's doing next week and what he's been doing this week. I suspect most of the time he'll be losing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but what did he do this week for a change? He didn't fight. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have a fight. <laughs> <laughs> Inspirational stuff. Yeah. So this guy goes by the name of Mr. Reliable because he turns up and like he's taken fights at like two hours notice. Some promoter rings him up. Somebody's fallen out of uh, of a fight and they can't take it. And so Chris Lay Jeez. will turn up. Um, uh, and, and just sort of furthermore on the on the art form um, kind of avenue they went down, if a fighter gets knocked out, they're then banned from competing for a certain length of time. Are, aren't they? Two weeks or three weeks, can't remember which. Is that the same? So that's the, is that the same as if the fight gets stopped by the ref? On, yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah, so they don't want stoppages. Right. So you, you, which is how he's perfected the art of not being yeah. stopped. Uh, mm. Because if he does, he doesn't get paid for two, three weeks or whatever, whilst he's you know in recovery, essentially. Um, but, I mean, there are numerous journeymen out there. And if you go to, it tends to typically be the kind of small hall shows, you see them on the circuit. And I have to give a shout-out to my favourite one of all, Moses Matuvu, who, like, he's, he's just an entertainer, like... He entertains when he's fighting these new fighters that are all like pumped up and they're out there and they're really like ready to go. And Matuva will just be like in the ring, lay back, he'll drop his gloves, he'll kind of do an alley shuffle in the ring, he'll wave his arm up to his ear like Hulk Hogan style. Like mid fight, he'll kind of do that. Whilst you've got this debutant who's like all fired up for it, yeah, I'm going to take your head off. Matuva's seen and done all of it before. Chris Lay has seen and done all of it before. He doesn't do the entertainment aspect of it so much, but he's its just a mention, really, for the other end of boxing. We talk about the top end yeah. of it. I have an appreciation of the bottom end of it. Um, so, yeah, when I say he goes up and down the country, right, he's fighting next weekend in Yorkshire. The weekend after that, he fights in Gloucester. And then I think it's two weeks after that, he fights in Essex. So just plotting it out. So if he was wise. to get knocked out on one of these, he couldn't. He'd then have to cancel. The so he's he's got. I mean, clearly with his record, he's, he has perfected some uh, some extent it, but he has to be it has to be a reliable skill as well for him to be. Able yeah, to absolutely. Um, so you know, promoters are reliant on him not getting knocked out, so that he's there. And if for he's their the sh- guy they call after two hours notice. If he doesn't turn up... Well, that's it. <laughs> so, yeah, this is my intention. Each week we stop by the lay-by, we catch up with what Chrissy and Lay's been doing. Okay. Or if he's not available, if he's not fighting, we'll pick someone else. We'll have a look at someone else. <laughs> we can't um, have a new shit name. Why? <laughs> and some more jingles, yeah. Um, okay, well, I think that's pretty much where we can uh, wrap it up from there. I'm sure they've had enough by now. So, uh, all I have to say is enjoy... Sam Smith on loop because I'm just going to hook it into the end of this just to play it on loop for about 25 minutes. Jesus Christ. Just those, that four seconds. Maybe mix a bit of Adele in just to cheer it <laughs> yeah. up. Um, oh, she's a miserable cow, isn't she? <laughs> I listened to her song the other What was it? Um, Which one? Hello. Hello. Oh, right, okay. Fucking fat, miserable cow. <laughs> <laughs> she keeps banging on about this geezer that's left her and then like, she, I can't remember the gist of it, but she's trying to get hold of him. 
Yeah, she, well, it's, it's because she's broken his heart. She's broken his heart and he's not ringing her back. Well, yeah. Take the hint, you stupid bin. <laughs> like, he doesn't fucking want you. He's already moved on and got someone who's less annoying. Doesn't <laughs> call him every half hour. She's not ringing up from California. Anyway, sorry. I, love, <laughs> yeah. I love the fact this song's been out more than a month. <laughs> and you're like, ah, this is that new Adele song the other day. I found this new artist to Dell. Yeah, right? yeah, this is your finger she's on big. the pulse. You lot, yeah. someone check her out because she's going to make it. I reckon. Um, <laughs> right, <laughs> that's Martin's knowledge of the pop industry. Sorry. Right. Uh, well, uh, bye. <laughs> Can I lay by your side? <laughs> Yeah.